Origins, Approaches and Debates in Psychology Episode 3 Structuralism, Functionalism and the Birth of Behaviourism So the focus of this episode is the behavioural or learning approach. The basic principles and assumptions of the behavioural approach are that we are the products of our environment, that all our behaviours are learnt from birth by a process of classical and operant conditioning and via schedules of reinforcement. The influence of the behavioural approach can be seen very clearly in attachments, psychopathology, for example phobias, addiction, moral development and gender development. This episode is going to focus on the behaviourist approach as it evolves from the original approaches of structuralism and functionalism and influenced by the pioneering work of Charles Darwin. In the last episode, I discussed the work of Wilhelm Wundt and Edward Titchener at the University of Leipzig using experimental introspection in an approach known as structuralism. The fundamental flaw of the structuralist approach was the subjectivity of introspection. Introspection is the process by which a person gains knowledge about their mental states as a result of the examination or observation of their conscious thoughts. Wundt and Titchener's experiments relied on participants' self-reports, an approach which was criticised for its lack of scientific rigour. William James studied medicine at Harvard University in America and began teaching physiology there in 1872. In 1876, he was appointed Associate Professor of Psychology and wrote a textbook called The Principles of Psychology, which was published in two volumes in 1890. He also called favourable attention to the work of Sigmund Freud. James emphasised an approach to psychology that focused on the connection between thinking and behaviour rather than the structuralist focus on identifying the elements of a psychological experience. He was influenced by Charles Darwin's theory of natural selection, which proposed that the physical characteristics of animals and humans evolved because they were useful and functional. Functional psychologists believe that Darwin's theory applied to the psychological characteristics as well as the physical ones. Although functionalism hasn't survived as a school of thought in modern psychology, its focus on the causes of human behaviour influenced the work of B.F. Skinner and the development of behaviourism. James's theory of emotion proposed that a behaviour, such as running away, produces changes in our conscious experience, such as the emotion of fear. This implied that consciousness was less important to psychology than previously thought. And whilst this conflicted with James's belief in free will, it helped to move the focus away from mentalism and towards behaviour. Behaviourism is an approach which proposes that human and non-human behaviour can be explained in terms of conditioning. Behaviourism focuses exclusively on observable behaviour, unlike previous approaches, and aims to explain the causes of behaviour using learning principles. Behaviourists emphasise the importance of empirically observing relationships between environmental stimuli and behaviour. 
Many behaviourists believe that the basic principles of learning were present in both animals and humans, meaning that conducting tightly controlled scientific experiments on animals could help inform the causes of behaviour in humans. Russian physiologist Ivan Pavlov was the first to empirically study the concept of classical conditioning, defined as a learning response that occurs when two stimuli are repeatedly paired together. He was investigating the natural salivatory reflex in dogs when he noticed that the dogs salivated not only when food was presented, but also other stimuli associated with being fed, like the presence of the researcher and the emergence of the food bowl. This led him to explore the conditions under which this type of learning was most likely to occur. He found that a neutral stimulus could be associated with another stimulus to produce a certain behaviour. He found that a neutral stimulus could be associated with another stimulus to produce a certain behaviour. The natural stimulus in any reflex is referred to as the unconditioned stimulus or UCS and the natural response to the stimulus is the unconditioned response, UCR. In this case, salivation. It's natural to salivate when food's being discussed. You may even be salivating right now because I'm discussing food. During the acquisition phase, a neutral stimulus or NS, in this case the bell, which doesn't elicit the uncontrolled response of salivation, is presented shortly before the unconditioned stimulus. After many pairings of the neutral stimulus, the bell, and the unconditioned stimulus of the food, this changes and the neutral stimulus is now able to elicit the same response of salivation in the absence of the unconditioned stimulus. So in other words, just ringing the bell was enough at that point to make the dog salivate. At this point, the neutral stimulus becomes known as the conditioned stimulus and the response it produces becomes the conditioned response. However, Certain features have to be present for this to occur. One of the most obvious is timings. There can't be too great a time difference between the neutral stimulus and the unconditioned stimulus, or conditioning won't take place. Pavlov also discovered that, unlike the unconditioned response, the conditioned response doesn't become permanently established. After a few presentations of the conditioned stimulus in the absence of the unconditioned stimulus, in other words, if you keep ringing the bell and no food comes, it loses its ability to produce a conditioned response. So after a while, the dogs will stop salivating when they hear it. This is called extinction. But following extinction, if you pair them back up again, bell and food, the link between them is made again, only this time much more quickly. Pavlov also discovered that once an animal had been conditioned, they would also respond to other stimuli that are similar to the conditioned stimuli. Edward Thorndike introduced the concept of reinforcement and was the first psychologist to apply systematic psychological principles to learning. He did this in a series of experiments by placing cats inside a puzzle box which could only be opened when the cat pressed a small lever. Thorndike recorded how long it took the cat to press the lever after being placed in the box and rewarded the cats with food once they successfully escaped the box. 
At first, the cats took a long time to escape as they did various fairly random actions before eventually pressing the lever. The time taken to escape from the box gradually decreased over subsequent trials as the cats learned that pressing the lever meant escaping the box and getting a food reward. Thorndike concluded that the cats would initially use trial and error to escape the box before modifying their behaviour based on which actions resulted in a reward. Based on his experiments, Thorndike proposed his law of effect, which says that the consequences of an action determine the likelihood that the behaviour will be repeated in future. In other words, pleasant consequences increase the likelihood of repeating a behaviour, whilst unpleasant consequences reduce it. In 1913, John Watson started teaching courses based on the work of Wundt and James whilst conducting his own research on animals. He believed that for psychology to be accepted as a true scientific discipline, introspective methods should be rejected in favour of scientific and experimental methods which focus only on concepts which could be observed, manipulated and quantified. Watson believed that learning was the most important factor in determining an individual's behaviour and proposed that learning reflects the fundamental means through which humans and animals adapt to their environment. Behavioural psychology saw the discipline as purely objective, a natural science with the theoretical goal of predicting and controlling behaviour. It removed the natural distinction between humans and non-humans seeing the difference between them as purely quantitative, one of degree, rather than qualitative, one of kind. Behaviourism, therefore, closely adheres to the theoretical views of science. Along with his research assistant, Rosalie Rayner, John Watson used classical conditioning to induce a fear response in a small child who's become known as Little Albert. Little Albert's mother used to leave him at the nursery associated with the university every day, and Watson asked for permission to use Albert for a study. By associating a loud, unpleasant banging noise with Albert's favoured toy, a white fluffy rat, Watson was able to create a fear of the rat in Albert, who would then cry whenever the rat was brought near him instead of reaching for it. The fear response also generalised to other white fluffy objects. Not the most ethical of experiments, but it did lay the foundation for an understanding of how phobias are acquired and maintained in humans. B.F. Skinner extended previous research by Edward Thorndike and John Watson. Skinner examined how the consequences of an action influence behaviour. By performing experiments on animals and humans, Skinner played a fundamental role in defining the concept of operant conditioning. This is the process through which reinforcement and punishment serve to shape, maintain and change behaviour. Skinner examined the behaviour of mice and pigeons placed inside a variant of Thorndike's puzzle box. This became known as a Skinner box to examine how reinforcement and punishment influence behaviour. At one stage, using a process called shaping, he even managed to train pigeons to guide bombs in World War II. 
Skinner defined reinforcement as any consequence which increases the likelihood of a behaviour being repeated, whereas punishment was defined as any consequence which decreases the likelihood of the behaviour being repeated. He showed that a given behaviour is more likely to be repeated if it results in a reward, positive reinforcement, or if it results in the removal of an unpleasant or aversive stimulus, known as negative reinforcement. He also showed that a behaviour is less likely if it results in an unpleasant consequence or punishment. Through these experiments, Skinner outlined the fundamental concepts of operant conditioning. One of Skinner's most influential contributions to psychology was to systematically investigate how variations in the pattern and frequency of reinforcement influences the speed of learning. A reinforcement schedule is defined as the time or the number of responses required before the reinforcement or punishment is implemented. Skinner systematically varied how frequently a reward was presented, for example, after every lever press or after every 10 presses. He observed that mice showed a very fast rate of learning when presented with an unpredictable and inconsistent reinforcement schedule known as a variable ratio schedule, a situation where the number of lever presses required to earn a reward would change every time. He further noticed that the unpredictability of the reward schedule meant the mice would continue to press a lever long after the researchers provided the last reward. This is also one of the principles explaining how gamblers become addicted. Being rewarded at irregular intervals keeps them playing much longer than if they were being rewarded on a fixed reinforcement schedule. Behaviorism, as well as defining the basic principles of learning, has been extremely influential in psychology as it emphasised the need to adopt rigorous scientific research methods. But although behaviorism has made a huge contribution in psychology, many researchers started to argue in favour of the importance of cognitive events. This was the start of modern psychology as we now know it. For example, in 1948, Edward Tolman's cognitive behaviorism and Bandura's social learning theory both developed from behaviorism. But psychology, until quite recently, has been heavily criticised for both gender and culture bias. Early psychologists mostly conducted experiments on animals or white male participants, ignoring both women and the work of black psychologists. Even the choice of what material goes into the specification typically excludes these researchers and their insights into the understanding of human behaviour from a female or a black perspective. And, and here I'm using the word black in the inclusive sense, not just referring to people of African or African-Caribbean ethnicity. This questions what psychology is really all about and whether there really are universals of behaviour and the value of a science that does not include researchers and participants who represent the diversity of the human race. We've already mentioned that as early as 1903, W.E.B. Du Bois wrote his groundbreaking text, The Souls of Black Folk, in which he explored this concept of 
double consciousness and inward twoness experienced by black Americans. Although operating more in a sociological than a psychological arena, his ideas were very influential in the understanding of the different experiences of those of black ethnicity living in America. So before moving on to behaviourism in the 1950s, I'd like to just stop and consider some of the groundbreaking research conducted in the 1940s by Dr. Kenneth Bancroft Clark and Dr. Mamie Phipps Clark, African-American psychologists who use dolls to study the psychological effects of segregation on African-American children. The Clarks used four dolls, identical except for colour, to test children's racial perception. The children were aged between three and seven years old, and they were asked to identify both the race of the dolls and which colour doll they preferred. A majority of the children preferred the white doll and assigned positive characteristics to it. The Clarks concluded that prejudice, discrimination and segregation created a feeling of inferiority amongst the African-American children and damaged their self-esteem. They later went on to give evidence as expert witnesses in Briggs v. Elliot, 1952, one of five cases which contributed to the ruling of the US Supreme Court that racial segregation in public education was unconstitutional. The court ruling acknowledged that to separate African-American children from others of similar age and qualifications solely because of their race generates a feeling of inferiority as to their status in the community that may affect their hearts and minds in a way unlikely ever to be undone. Dr Kenneth Clark was dismayed that the court failed to cite two other conclusions that he had reached that racism was inherently an American institution and that school segregation inhibited the development of white children too. The Clark's doll study has been replicated many times since the 1940s, for example by Haraba and Grant in 1970. They concluded that black children were not necessarily white-orientated and that black children were prouder of their race in 1969 than in the Clark's original study in 1939. For example, when the black children were asked in both studies which doll they wanted to play with, in the original 1939 study, 69% of the black children said they wanted to play with the white doll whereas in 1969 this had reduced to 30%. When asked which doll looks bad in 1939, 17% of the children chose the white doll, whilst in 1969 it had risen to 61%. The next episode goes to look at a contemporary researcher, Sigmund Freud, and the development of the psychodynamic approach in psychology. Thank you for listening to the Origins, Approaches and Debates in Psychology podcast. It was written and presented by Mrs Lawrence.